Hello and welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast where we keep you up to date with the latest trends, drivers and moves in livestock, grain and oilseed and fibre markets. My name's Olivia Agar. Thanks for listening into episode 245. The livestock industry is really bracing through this period of very challenging market conditions, but it's also continuing to build on the systems, the trade relationships, the reputation and the quality of product that will be driving long-term growth. So today we're very pleased to have Jason Strong, Managing Director of Meat and Livestock Australia on the podcast to discuss not only the big supply and demand issues that we're currently facing, but also the industry level investment and progress being made in supply chain efficiencies, market access, biosecurity and MLA's marketing program. Before I hand over and we get into this great episode, we'll do a quick wrap around the markets and it was a really mixed bag of results across a lot of our commodities this week. It was not a good week for mutton with prices heading further south, but trade land prices received a very much needed boost. The wool market also opened with a bit of a weaker tone this week, but by day two, buyers really jumped back in, which saw an overall improvement in the merino and crossbred market. Apparel fibres are just waiting on improved economic growth, though, to really allow prices to turn upwards. ABEZ has also just released new crop forecasts and pegged Australian wheat production at 25.4 million metric tonnes, which is down 33% from the 39 million tonnes grown last year. For more market insights and analysis, just head to the Mercado website for all your updates. Now, that's enough from me. I'll leave you with Robert Herman and Jason Strong for today's episode. G'day, Jason. Thanks for coming on Commodity Conversations. G'day, Rob. It's it's great to have a chat with you. Jason, um, we're going to throw some leading questions your way. Um, but I guess starting off as a director of MLA in these interesting times, what's your key focus in supporting the ongoing growth of the Australian red meat industry? Rob, there's a there's a whole range of things we've been working on for a long time. And I think one of the challenges we have at MLA is how do we find the things which are going to be most impactful for producers? Um, and, you know, over the last 25 years that MLA has been in operation, there's been such a broad range of things that we've worked on across the supply chain. Some of them have been things which MLA is largely um, driven. So with uh, yeah, with other partners like MSA, for example, um, but others are things where we uh, very much support and augment activities in the industry as well, like what we recently did this year with the Australian Feed Base monitor system where we're um, now helping increase the access to uh, satellite-based biomass measurement. So there's a real range of what we do, but what we've been trying to do in the last few years is get really focused on a a smaller number of programs or programs of work, uh, which we can drive through to to being impactful. Um, And if you look at the annual investment plan this year, um, there's there's five big areas of focus. So on-farm productivity is still very much a focus. But we're investing, we're planning to invest the same amount in extension and adoption as we're investing in on-farm R&D. So both of the on-farm productivity. So both of those two things are about $30 million investments this next year because we've got so many things that um, have been developed, discovered, invented um, by us and others over um, the last how many decades that we aren't necessarily yet exploiting. Um, 
So other things, of course, which are interesting are traceability and biosecurity, sustainability is still a big ticket, and red meat positioning. So how do we best position red meat around nutrition and engage with the community? Jason, these are all key planks of uh, your strategy going forward. But you would have noticed that you can't go anywhere without someone wanting to talk livestock markets. They've taken a big hit in the last 12 months. And I was thinking about your term, Jason. You'd come through the drought. I think at ML, uh, I think that the drought was in play at MLA. And now we've got the situation we have now with markets. The EYCI is down 53%. The lamb indicator is down 43%. What are you saying to producers that are looking to manage their way through what looks like being a pretty big challenge? It's a huge challenge, Rob. Um, and it might sound like we're jumping about a bit, but there's definitely method, method to the madness. You know, one of the one of the things about our industry is its resilience. And um, you know, there's been no problem that's been thrown at our sector that we'll, as a sector we haven't found a solution for. Um, but we also do seem to to like the bad news as well. So, um, but but we're we're so good at, at solving problems and getting on on top of things. And you look at the last four or five years, and just if you just take my tenure as a just to have a point in time in this role, um, you're right. We had droughts, fires, floods, um, plagues. Effectively, you know, the pandemic. We've had incredible seasons. We've had difficult seasons. We've had prices at a height that. You know, nobody could ever imagine it, but it wasn't just sort of the best ever. It was you know, better than we could ever imagine. And then now that they've come off fast, I've ever seen before. We've had prices come off fast before, but not, um, and you guys know the um, analytics better than I do, but um, we haven't had prices come off this fast and this far on a percentage basis and and, and the total value, um, which is really, really challenging for the industry. And um, and so much of that other, uh, is driven by the market forces. And um, and it's very uh, tough for us where we're trying to pick the things to invest in to support producers uh, be profitable and productive and and more resilient and more sustainable when their their immediate challenge is the volume of livestock that's coming on the market and the enthusiasm of the the buyers for that which we you know we can't do anything about so it, it's a really difficult balance for us Rob so so what we're trying to do is um, um, in some ways, it's staying the course on the things which we know are going to be impactful for the industry, but but in other ways, it's also making sure that we we stay attuned to the current challenges in providing information about you know, markets and why they're moving, and and try and help better be people be better armed, um, but also making sure that um, we're, we're really conscious of what's happening in the markets in case there is anything where we can contribute from a, a, a research and development or marketing. Um, point of view that, that might help the current environment, but but it's incredibly, incredibly challenging. Yes, it is. And um, you make an interesting point, though, about providing market information. I mean, we've looked, you look around the world and we have got one of the best reported markets of anywhere, I think. And uh, and certainly from Cardo's point of view, we rely on that market information that you supply. One of the things that um, comes up in discussions now, though, is that, you know, the capacity of processes um, seems to be a limiting factor. Is is that what you're seeing as an impact on the market? And are we likely to see that ease in the future, in your view? Yeah, it's an interesting one because uh, we talk about capacity of processes, um, but so much of the impact has been a, a labour challenge rather than an actual capacity challenge. And I'm not I'm not trying to be cute about about it. You know, we um, 
we have a lot more capacity to process than we're currently processing. It's having the labour to do that. Um, and uh, and that's been absolutely one of the compounding impacts because it wasn't that we were starting from a level where uh, we just had low processing numbers. Because so uh, such a large percentage of our processing workforce um, is supported by or relies on foreign labour, um, you know, through that period of time where we actually had no um, uh, no immigrant labour in the country effectively and we certainly had no flow of people coming in and out of the country. Um, it meant that as we're trying to ramp up, it wasn't that we were building on a base, we were starting from zero. And and, the, and there were some changes around the way that that labour's accessed and managed um, from a, a, a policy point of view as well, um, which I think then made that a bit challenging and, and you know, the industry organisations particularly that processing side have been you know, so active in trying to get in front of that. But the, so, so I need to be really clear that we have capacity, the ability, the physical ability, the physical um, infrastructure to, to process more yep. livestock. That's just how we, how we get that labor force um, um, back to those levels. And, and, and we've had a significant increase, you know, we were processing less than hundred thousand a week, um, for such a big chunk of the last couple of years, and we're up in the you know one twenties and thirties, and I think even higher. Um, so, so we have seen an increase, but but we've also seen this massive increase in turnoff as well. And it's not just an increase in turnoff; it's the increase. It's not just the increase in turnoff from the increased productivity; it's the increase in turnoff from increased productivity, the output of additional livestock being traded, and then the additional buyers that were in the market the last few years that were trading, for example, not actually being there. So we're back to the, the traditional trading purchasing side, but on the supply side, we've got the increase in product in production plus those trading livestock coming onto the, the market. So it's this real, you know, mix of, of big supply and demand issues which are creating challenges for us. Um Jason, we take the view that um, you know, these are times that processes like where you've got supply um, and so the challenge plenty of supply is what processes always ask for and and when you've got it the challenge is that you want to be able to use it so I'm gathering and I know MLA is involved in this to some degree in the innovation in meatworks and the innovation in processing that um, is going to help get over this labour shortage must be getting ramped up as well in this time. Yeah some of it is and I think we've seen some really good progress on the um, processing innovation side. Um, but but we're also seeing a lot more happen in processing plants as well. You know, if you, you go back, you know, pick a number, but say three decades. So you go back before MLA and and, uh, and after the first time we tried automated processing, um, where we had reasonably standardised and, and nearly harvesting type approaches. So before MSA, um, before the grain feed sector really took off, uh, we do 12 cut full sets or we do slash packs you know we'd have a um, you'd, you'd process an animal and largely to go to the same largely to go to the same market the sophistication of our supply chain now is materially different so even though um, there's processing innovations that uh, are providing opportunities uh, and to not just remove some labor points but also make and probably more importantly make some of that operation more efficient so some of those um, the automated saws, for example, being more more accurate, so they're safer. They're more accurate. You get higher yield. You might you might remove a lady in it. 
um, make it more efficient, reliable, those sort of things. But we're also doing more value adding. So we're packing more cuts from a carcass. We're doing more to those cuts that we take off the carcass. And that I think that's been one of the big challenges with the the um, you know, the labour challenge uh, from getting the labour shortage from getting value for the processing sector. But if you've got a limited labour force, um, you might have a requirement from a whole rump to do a, a tri-tip and a rump cap and, and a set of cut rump, but you've got to have labour to get the rump off the carcass first. You know? So mm. you end up with this um, your hierarchy of needs. Um, you've got to get them processed, you've got to get them chilled, you've then got to get uh, product off the carcass and and so you, you you end up you know borrowing from the other end if you've got a limited labor force or you just do less livestock so um so yes the automation and those types of things like robots will will help and and they're being used more in some plants than others um but also the the broader amount of labor is still a challenge and being able to to you know, take advantage of those innovations and opportunities that the processes have developed in the last you know, couple of decades is uh, is certainly a, a real challenge for them. Still, so the, uh, I think it's we've we've been seeing the praises of the industry and MLA and and governments and others have been able to grow market access, um, and it's a, and it's a, a really important thing because um, you know the broader access it 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 uh, spreads your risk, um, increases demand. Can that momentum that we've seen in the last few years be maintained, or are we sort of getting to the stage where we, you know, it's more about fine tuning markets now? Um, it's a bit of both. So the you know, the last you know, major potential win is the the EU. That's the last of the of the really big you know, industrialised markets to um, to get improved access with, and and that's that's as challenging as everybody expected it would be. Yeah. Um, maybe more. Um, but as challenging, I think if you think it's going to be the most challenging thing and it's the most challenging thing, I'm not sure how it gets more challenging than that, but it's as challenging as expected. Um, so we, we still need to chip away at that. And we absolutely need to have some uh, resolve on you know, getting a good result for that one because it's a, you know, we've, waited, we've waited a long time and um, you know, we, should, we shouldn't, absolutely should not trade off expediency uh, for the quality of the, the deal. and. And our, our industry representatives have been doing a fantastic job in, in presenting the industry's position uh, around that. Um, so there's big opportunity there. And, and I think there's there's more, more opportunity there by the day nearly because as um, we hear so much about the EU environmental credentials and the potential risk to us as a supplier, and, yep. and we've got to be conscious of that, but, but we do those things really well. You know, how we talk about our credentials and how we present our credentials in a way that they understand what we do will, will be the most important thing. There's, there's very little that we're going to be asked to do that we can't demonstrate that we do we do well. Like Australia is, a, you know, is an incredibly good producer and, and supplier, but the EU is going to have these really tough, um, you know, environmental laws between the Green Deal and the Farm to Fork program. They're going to reduce nitrogen use, reducing crop sprays, mm -hmm. trying to increase the amount of organic production, which will have a huge impact on their um, productivity. Um, so there's going to be more opportunity in that market, not less. And uh, and as a as a key export country, a key country that relies so heavily on exports and producing a high value, high quality product, um, we you know we absolutely want to get the best deal we possibly can. The other component to market access, which um, often gets lost because it's the real grunt work, 
um, it's the non-tariff trade barriers. And you know, the last version of the um, uh, analysis report we saw of that, it still had three or $4 billion worth of you know, potential benefit. Um, you know, that's a bigger market than China. Um, yeah, what yeah. we currently send, you know, that'll be a, it's like a number two um, last year, like China last year, it's like a number two export market for us. You know? So um, there's huge gains still potentially on that side, but it's hard work. Um, we saw some really good gains in the Middle East around um, shelf life. So being able to extend the available shelf life, um, the recognition of available shelf life of Australian product, which meant we could then uh, send more product by sea freight rather than air freight, which significantly reduced the cost of freight. So those sorts of things um, will still be you know, big opportunities for us. I'm talking to Jason Strong on Commodity Conversations today, the Managing Director of MLA. You mentioned about um, market access and you're talking about our uh, the recognition of the Australian product. And part of that is our, you know, effectively our disease-free status, our traceability, our, um, you know, the confidence we must be giving our customers. Um, in recent times, though, well, probably not just in recent times, but uh, it, there's been increased um, heightened risk, a bit more concern. Um, and I say, I know off, off your website, it says the reputation of producing clean, safe and natural red meat products is a major factor underpinning our export success. It's something I wake up at night about a little bit. How confident are you that we can keep this level of, um, of um, quality that we have in, uh, in we're providing this meat to our customers? No, I'm really confident about it, Rob. And um, because all the evidence point to us being incredibly committed as an industry, being incredibly committed and really good at it. Now, there was such a heightened level of awareness and risk and, and you know, fear and anxiety created last year around, you know, exotic animal disease and the potential as they got you know, closer in Indonesia. Um, but the, the best demonstration we have is that we don't have those things here. Uh, we have people coming into Australia from countries every single day, multiple countries every single day, where um, these diseases are, uh, are very common mm -hmm. and our mechanisms keep them out. And the, the fact that we do that on a regular basis every day uh, is the best demonstration we have of how good our systems are. Now, that doesn't mean they can't be better. And one of the great things about what happened last year is it increased the level of awareness, created a lot of unnecessary you know, fear and anxiety, which was it was really unfortunate. But it did increase the level of awareness and um, it gave the industry and the government the opportunity. So, well, are we doing as well as we can do? Are we doing the best that we can be? And what are the things that we can actually do better? And and doing that okay, and doing that um, uh, regularly is not a bad thing. And I think last year the resolve and connection between the industry and the um, and the government from an execution point of view um, was was great to see about how we work together to improve those things. So um, we can't be naive and we absolutely cannot be complacent. Like this is one of the most important things to us for trade, if not the most important thing is our biosecurity status and how we protect that is incredibly, incredibly important. And we just need to keep it in perspective. Uh, so FMD and LSD are closer, but they're not actually close. Like it's... We're a big island and we're in the middle of nowhere. And the closest place to us is still a fair way away. Indonesia is not, a, not the closest, it's a bit further out. And we've got to remember, you know, when the UK had FMD in the last decade, um, in both times it didn't spread to Ireland or France. And, you know, you can swim there. So 
Um, you know, so we've still got these protections um, and, and we have one off, if not the best biosecurity system in the world, uh, but we shouldn't be complacent. Absolutely, we should not be complacent and we should you know, keep doing everything we can. And, that, and that's why it's one of the key pillars of our investment. We invest the same, give or take, you know, the same amount of money in biosecurity and traceability as we do in um, on-farm productivity and extension adoption. It's um, yeah, I agree. Um, I'm not sure that I could swim to France, but uh, uh, that's a good that's a good way of looking at it. Um, so, I think some can swim to France, not uh, yes, not, not not me either. Or people have swum to France. Yes, <laughs> sounds sounds like an interesting challenge uh, on on your holidays, Jason. I'll look forward to the photos. Um, I know I've seen some of the MLA. Um, market activities, things you do around the globe and the range of programs. Um, a lot of producers wouldn't be fully aware of the extent of that. Can you just give us a um, a couple of ideas, a couple of insights into those programs? And I know you sort of try and tailor them into those key export markets and the and the distribution channel that, that you're in at the time. Is that right? It really is. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, uh, very much a horses for courses. And while we have in our international markets four sort of key areas of work um, around information and knowledge and insights and engagement with um, you know, the market, um, we, we absolutely uh, do tailor to an extent the activities in each market. So, so our insights are an incredibly important part of how we put those things together. So our our marketing team, which is headed up by, by Nathan Lowe, it's, um, so Nathan heads up the marketing and insights group. And that insights component of, uh, of that team is incredibly important, which includes the market information guys that you engage with so often. And historically, um, we had a, probably a smaller team in the insights group. And, and largely we use that information to inform our activities and what we did and made sure we were understanding um, what was going on. But in, in recent years, and particularly under Nathan's leadership, the Insights Group has not just used those insights to um, better inform what we're doing, but also better inform others about the programs in those markets. And a lot of what we do in those international markets is um, co-investment. So investing with an importer or with an exporter uh, on a program that lines up with the sorts of things that our insights support, but also then lines up with their connection with their supply chain. Um, so there's only a, only a very small amount of consumer-facing, visible um, promotional marketing activity. Um, most of the uh, work that we do is is more trade-focused, and there's a bit of there's a bit of the consumer face, but most of it's very trade-focused. And and how do we actually support that connection? Because we're in in all of those markets, we're still such a very small percentage of the total consumption. It's making sure that we're supporting that supply chain. So the exporters and the importers um, get the, the Australian product positioned as best as it possibly can. I think we, um, we're really appreciative in Australia here that we do have strong overseas demand. And given that we, we have to export, we can't, uh, we can't consume everything we produce. Um, but uh, we've seen recently in the last few years has been a, you know, a, a reasonably steady decline in red meat consumption within Australia. Uh, especially if you're a consumer. So do you think that's got the chance of translating back to optimistic demand again? Yeah, I think it, it does. Um, there's a big but, though. Um, the, the biggest driver of um, a reduction in our consumption of, of beef and lamb is price. So over the last 20-odd years, we've more than doubled the price of 
our red meat at retail. Um, and, and that's the biggest challenge that we have is that, uh, that we have a reasonably expensive product. We still have more than 90% of households regularly eating beef and more than 70% of households regularly eating lamb. It's a staple of an Australian diet, absolutely a staple of Australian diet. But price is the biggest driver, 50% of the decision-making process for people um, looking to reduce their consumption or looking to trade out into other products. So, so I have a view that um, even though we want to see our product be more economical where possible with our consumers, we actually want to keep that price reasonably high because we we want to make sure, because that's where all the money comes in the supply chain, and we want to make sure that uh, there's the value in the supply chain to support the sorts of things that all the participants in the supply chain expect. Now, we've seen a reduction in price um, over the last few months, and that's a response to um, the, um, the cheaper livestock coming into the system it hasn't been the same proportion in any way no. that we've seen on livestock prices but the same applies when livestock prices went up exactly retail prices go up but nowhere near to the same proportion yeah. that livestock prices do so they move around but they don't move around anywhere near like livestock prices do and i think we'd be better off putting our efforts into how do we continue to make our relationships across the supply chain more sophisticated so we have better share of the value across the supply chain, uh, then we should put our efforts into trying to reduce the price at retail. We should, from a marketing point of view, we want to put our efforts into consumers being prepared to pay um, to pay well for Australian red meat uh, and see it as good value. Because even though it's not cheap, they see it as nutritious, they see it as healthy, they see it as sustainable, they see it as... A, Part of their staple diet, they see it part of as part of being Australian. So, I think it's the you know, how, how do we work together as a supply chain and you know, get our market information more sophisticated? How do we better connect between the different supply chain components to uh, to help manage the shift of those values when well, in both ways, when the livestock prices are up and down? Well, um, Johnson, uh, you certainly head up. You know, one of the key the key part of the industry to some degree, and from um, from our point of view at Mercado, we we greatly appreciate uh, the access we have to MLA data, and and we thank you very much for coming on here. It's really appreciate um, the opportunity to have a chat, and uh, it's such a wonderful industry to be part of, and it's such a privilege to be um, part of the MLA team in in trying to support the industry in the best possible way we can, and uh, we'll absolutely keep at it. Well, um, great way to wind up. Thanks very much, Jason, for coming on board. Um, we really appreciate it and uh, all the best in the future. Thanks, Rob. That's been great.